chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's stand together once again for a moment for the reading of God's Word. <clears throat> There's three primary passages that we're going to look at this evening, or this afternoon rather, but our diving board, you could say, to jump into the message is going to be here in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts as we study your word this afternoon, Holy Spirit, that you would um, just open our minds and our hearts to truth. And Lord, that you would show us where there needs to be changes in our hearts. And um, Lord, that you would just convict us of sin. And Lord, that you would just lead us to truth this afternoon, that we would be a church, Lord, that honors you in every area of our ministry. And Lord, that as Christians, we as individuals and as families, we would honor you in our homes. And Lord, just pray that you'd bless this time as we open up your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, addressing New Testament believers, both Jew and Gentile, but large, a large number of Gentile believers Peter is writing to, he tells them that the New Testament church is a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And I want us to start here this evening because we're going to be talking about music in the New Testament church. And we're going to be looking at three different passages uh, where Paul specifically addresses music in the New Testament local church. But as we lead into this, there's a basic concept I want us to understand this evening. And that is that you and I as believers have been called to be priests unto God. We talk about the doctrine of the, of the priesthood of the believers. And part of the responsibility of the priesthood in the Old Testament was the musical ministry of the house of God. They would come together and they would sing God's praise. And he says here that it is our responsibility as New Testament believers that we are a royal priesthood. And then he says that we would do what? That we would show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us to be priests. He's called us to be priests to show forth his praise. And so we're going to look at a couple of uh, three different passages tonight. Another passage that covers this area of music in the New Testament church is in James chapter five and verse 13. He makes a very simple statement. Is any among you merry? Let him sing psalms. If you went up to the temple, you may get to sing along, but in order to be a member of the temple choir in Jerusalem, you had to be a Levite. You had to be a member of a certain family and you got chosen for those responsibilities because you were set apart as a Levite to do service to the Lord and to offer and lift up praise to God. But when it comes to the New Testament church, he says that we're all called to be priests we're all called to show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his light. 
And in James chapter five, James says, if anyone among us is merry, let him sing psalms. And so it is not limited to a, a certain particular group or family or tribe. But as New Testament believers, we're all given the opportunity to come to the house of God, to lift up our voices and to sing God's praise. But in understanding that, I want us to understand that there are a number of things that are addressed here. And it's more of the of spiritual issues that are addressed in the New Testament when it comes to the issue of music in God's house. And each one of these are sets of threes. It's interesting that every one of them is set a set of three. We're going to look at four different sets of threes tonight. And it's interesting that it was in three separate passages that Paul addressed it. So we're going to go to three passages for four different sets of three in how Paul dealt with music in the New Testament church. First of all, we'll deal with three prerequisites for church musicians. Number one is found in Ephesians chapter five and verse number 18. Ephesians 5, 18, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Then he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And the statement continues, but we're going to stop there for a moment. We'll come back to it in a minute. Verse number 18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Now, if you were at Ephesus and you were receiving this letter and it was being read out loud in church for the first time, you're going to know exactly what Paul is talking about. Because in the city of Ephesus, when they went to their pagan temples to worship, and many of these people before they had gotten saved would have worshiped in this way, they would go out and at certain times a year, they would have a, a, a parade much like New Orleans does Mardi Gras parades, and I, I believe um, Galveston does it here. Um, and it's a growing thing in cities in America. But everybody lines up on the streets, and they raise their hands, and they're all hollering, throw me something, Mr. Right, as the, as the parade goes by. And there's a lot of drinking involved. And um, in the case for them, that would be a parade to the street of the city up to their temple. But in the process of all of this, as they're lifting their hands and as they're worshiping their false gods being paraded down the street, the people are getting drunk. And the drunker they get, the better they feel they can communicate with their false god. So the more the alcohol took over them, the more this experience took place, the better they could communicate, they thought. And so Paul is using this to explain what a Christian is supposed to be like. He says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Don't be controlled by alcohol, but be filled with the spirit. This word filled, it has the idea, we think of filling something up as in this bottle has been filled up with water. And when you and I get saved, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, or we refer to it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The moment a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes to permanently indwell them. So we get the Holy Spirit inside of us when we get saved. But the filling of the Spirit here, I like the way one um, author said it back a really long time ago. He made the statement, he said, it's not about how much of the Spirit we have, but it's how much of us the Spirit has. Does he have control over our lives? 
And as he begins to address with the Ephesians, give them some simple instructions here, very short instructions about the music in their church. He says, first of all, they were not to be drunk with wine. They were not to be controlled by alcohol, but they were to be controlled or filled with the spirit of God. The spirit of the living God needs to be in us. When this happens, when the Holy Spirit is in us and when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit and we're following him and we're listening to him and we're not grieving him, but we're obeying his promptings, something's going to happen. The Holy Spirit, his presence, his control in our lives is going to begin to remove carnality. It's going to remove wrong attitudes, wrong motives. For a musician, I have to, as a musician, rather, I have to say, there are some carnal motives that musicians can have. We see those highlighted in scripture. There were two major issues with the two primary musicians mentioned in the scriptures. The first was Lucifer. What was his big problem? Pride. Musicians tend to have a problem with, can you guess? Pride. You spend hours and hours and hours by yourself and you're practicing and then you get up on a stage in front of somebody. I mean, you can be in the back of the room. We can say, well, we're going to move the piano off the stage so that nobody gets prideful. We're going to move it into the back and put a curtain around it. Well, guess what? That pianist is still going to be sitting there. And on some days, they're just going to think, wow, I did so good. The pride is going to seep in. If you're hidden behind a curtain, the pride can still seep in. But when we are controlled by the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit deals with that pride and removes it. The other major issue, we have King David. King David struggled with pride, but there was another major thing, and that was immorality. You look at the music industry today, even the Christian music industry today, you just have to look at album covers to see the sensuality, to see where the focus is, that it is on the outside, that it's upon peel, it's about appealing, being, it's appealing to the eyes, it's appealing to the flesh. And yet, if you and I as believers would be filled, completely controlled by the spirit of God, this sensuality would be removed, the pride would be removed, and we would have powerful praise in our churches. A.W. Tozer said in his book, Whatever Happened to Worship, when a person yielding to God and believing the truth of God is filled with the spirit of God, even his faintest whisper will be worship. When you and I are yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, things will be different. There have been times in my music ministry that I will, I'll play and it's just like nothing happens. I sing and nothing happens. And man, I mean, things are going good. I'm hitting good notes. I'm playing with proficiency, but there's something dead about the music. But when I'm yielded the Holy Spirit, when he's working in my heart, I may hear all the wrong notes I'm playing that wasn't near as good as it was the last time. And yet the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is moving and the music becomes powerful. I've learned that the most important thing for me is not how perfect I hit the notes, but how yielded I am to the spirit of the living God. Because when he is working, our music will become powerful. It was a real struggle when I recorded my songs in the night. 
Physically, I wasn't 100%. Musically, I wasn't 100%. There were days that even emotionally, I'd be so drained because the nature of those songs and the times in my life that they had ministered to me, um, there was one day I almost had to crawl out of the studio. Literally, I walked out of the recording booth and just flopped on the floor and was almost laying on the floor by the recording engineer. And there were days he was driving me like a like a taskmaster and hours of recording. And it was just really rough. And when we got through, I just wasn't sure. It wasn't, I didn't walk out of the studio going, well, wasn't that something? Hey, we cut a good one here. I walked out of the studio going, "Uh, I don't know about this. But all I knew is that I was surrendered to the Lord. All I knew is even in the midst of it, I was getting criticism about some of the songs. I was getting criticism about how I sang, that I didn't have drums, that I didn't, anyway, I wasn't upbeat enough. I mean, all this stuff. And um, one guy told me, as long as your audience likes this, it's fine. It's fine. My audience, I never considered my audience other than songs that would minister to people's spirit. But when you have a widow woman come up to you and say, "Um, my husband and I, the last year or so of his life, we listened to this CD almost every night and sang along with you. And when we had the closing of his casket, I asked them to play your CD. That's when you realize the Holy Spirit is doing something. I may not be getting the big bucks for it. You know, it may not be quite upbeat enough. But if the Holy Spirit is working and the Holy Spirit is moving, that is what our music is supposed to be about as Christians. But first of all, we need to be spirit-filled. Number two, submitted. Look here in Ephesians chapter five. Let's continue reading in verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the sentence hasn't ended yet. And it ends with this. Yes, this verse is associated with the music. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Two areas of submission here. Number one is submission to one another. The second is submission to God. And if we're submitting to the Holy Spirit and we're under his leadership, we're more likely to be listening to God, walking in the fear of God, in submission to him. But there needs to be submission to one another. That means for the musician that we're under the authority of the pastor. That means as the musician that we're under the authority, even we could say, or or more, we're under, we put ourselves in submission to the needs of others. When we choose a song, we shouldn't be asking, which song do I want to do? But listening to the Holy Spirit, what song would minister to the congregation today? What song would be appropriate today? What song would speak to hearts today? What song would touch people's lives today? A few months ago, I have a really good example from my life of not listening to the Holy Spirit, not being completely submitted. I was trying to prepare when we were only having morning services early and we had just started morning services back. And I sat down and I began to find a song to sing on Sunday morning. And I was just really struggling with it. I had a few I was choosing between. And there was one I felt so impressed to sing. And it was that song, um, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. But there was another one I wanted to sing even more. And I kept going back and forth. Anyway, I finally went back and forth so much that I quit listening to the Lord and I just chose the one I wanted to do the most. So Sunday gets here, I get up and I 
sing the song. And when I go down to sit down, Pastor Joe gets up and says, the title of this morning is The Name of Jesus. We're going to talk about how sweet the name of Jesus is. And I sat there and it was like, see, I told you so. And I just sat right over there in my seat, kind of slouched down because the Holy Spirit had told me to sing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It just didn't seem to go anywhere. It didn't, I don't know. It just sort of, I, I didn't get it. But as soon as Pastor Joe announced his title, I realized that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me when I first opened my books to try to decide what to sing. The Holy Spirit was leading me to that specific song. We need to be submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, submitted to the needs of others, submitted to the authority of the local church. And it's amazing when we do that, um, there will be so much power. Now, if we turn over to Colossians for a minute, to the Colossian church, he gives the third area. So first is to be spirit-filled. The second is to be submitted and then in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul addresses the church at Colossae. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This word dwell means to live in or to have an influence over. In other words, he's saying, let the word of God move into your life. The word of God needs to become a part of our lives, that it influences our thoughts, our actions, that it completely takes over our life. If we're judging everything by the word of God, I, I think it's interesting. He he doesn't talk here about what kinds of musicians, how skilled the musician should be. But he talks about spiritual issues here, being submitted to the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God, being submitted to one another and to God, being grounded in the Word of God, the Word of God filling us. You know, as I've looked at the hymns of Fanny Crosby, I have yet to find doctrinal error in her hymns. Somebody brought me one one day. I made that comment one day in a college classroom, and one of the students comes into the office the next day and says, ah, I found one. I said, you found one what? I found a hymn of Fanny Crosby that's teaching false doctrine. And she told me the name of the, the title of the hymn, and it sounded like a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I said, well, would you read? And I mean, when I heard the, the title of the hymn, I'm like, oh, yeah, this one would be on TV right now. But I said, read for me the lyrics. And she starts reading the lyrics, health, wealth, prosperity gospel, right? I said, what is the context? What is the biblical context of what she's writing there? And the girl just looked at me and went, Ugh, and she just walked out. She didn't even answer the question. She realized, okay, put in the context of what Fanny Crosby was saying there. She was not teaching the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. She was talking about, I don't remember, maybe it was the spiritual blessings of God, but whatever it was, it was completely 100% biblical. Why was that the case? Because as a little child, even before she got saved, Fanny Crosby memorized huge portions of the word of God. And she applied it to her life. It changed her life. And when she started writing hymns, hymn after hymn, thousands of hymns she wrote, why were they coming out so doctrinally sound? 
because she was grounded in the word of God. I noticed something as a teenager, we were at a pastor's conference and this pastor had this poor woman and he was just leading her around, introducing her to all of these pastors. And I thought the woman looked uncomfortable. And then I heard him introducing her. She was a country singer that had just gotten saved. And what was he trying to do? He's trying to get her all these Christian concerts lined up. And as a teenager, I stood back and I thought, but has she had time to be grounded in the word of God yet? Has this poor woman been discipled yet? Has this poor woman learned the scriptures yet? And now we're lining her up to go do all these concerts and to lead in worship in all these churches. And then I understood why I felt so sorry for that poor woman when I saw her being drugged around by this pastor. And it's a dangerous thing when as Christians, we start pushing brand new Christians into ministry, even leading in music ministry, because if they're not learning to be submitted to the Holy Spirit, if they haven't learned yet the word of God and are grounded in biblical truth, then we are going to have problems. Spurgeon was preaching at his church on a Sunday evening, a a sermon entitled Christ in Dwelling Words. And it was about this passage of scripture right here, Colossians 3.16. And in the sermon, he said, it, the word of Christ, is a praise begetting thing. Out of every promise will spring a sonnet. Out of every divine truth enjoyed and lived upon will rise a spiritual song. Therefore, beloved, be much with your Bibles and your Bibles will be much with you for your own profit, for the profit of others and for the glory of God. I love that. Be much with your Bibles and your Bibles will be much with you. If we make a lot out of our Bible, our Bible will start changing us will make a difference in our life. So we're called to be spirit-filled, submitted, and Bible-grounded. Number three, let's look at three purposes of church music. First, we need to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is dealing with specifically the issue of tongues. He also talks about prophecy. And in these passages, he starts talking a little bit about the music in the church. And let's look, the purpose he gives here to the church at Corinth, the first purpose is edification. First Corinthians chapter 14, beginning at, let's start at verse 12. Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to what? What was the thing they were supposed to be really good at? Seek that ye may excel to the what? The edifying of the church. He said, I want you to be really good at edifying, at building up one another. Let's keep reading here. He says, wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. He said, it's not good enough that I just pray and I pray some prayer to God that I don't understand. He said, it's beneficial when I pray and God understands and I understand as well. He said, I will, now he addresses the music in the church. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with what? The understanding also. Why would it be important that we understand what we sing? And he's going to talk about it here in a minute. Why would it be important that others would understand what we sing? He said, else when thou shalt bless with the spirit. So, oh, we lift up our voices. We bless God, whether it be through prayer or singing. 
How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? How are you going to be able to say amen when somebody else is praying and you're not sure what they just prayed? I mean, they could have just prayed for a brand new sports car. And I'm, amen, hallelujah. I have no clue. I didn't understand a word they said. He's pointing out here that if we're going to be edified, if the church is going to be edified, there has to be some understanding. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice, I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now skip down. He continues talking about tongues and prophecy. And when you get down to verse 26, he says, he brings up music again. How is it then brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a Psalm. Everybody shows up at church on Sunday morning and they want to sing a special. Everybody has a Psalm. Everybody's got a doctrine, hath a tongue, something in tongues. They want to get up and speak, hath a revelation. Oh, God gave me a revelation this week, hath an interpretation. Oh, I can get up and interpret what brother so-and-so just said. He said, everybody's got all this stuff they want to do. He said, let all things be done unto edifying. Honestly, if we come to church and we want to sing just to show off, we just as well not do it. He said, let it be done to edifying. We should be coming in order to encourage others, in order to spiritually build up one another. I think it's interesting. The first purpose given here is not for the glory of God. That's already been well-established in the Old Testament. Music is for the glory of God. If you could have gotten this far and not understood that, you just really need to go back to school and learn how to read because the book of Psalms has well clarified that music is for God and for his glory. But when he gets to the church at Corinth, he's dealing with all of their issues, with their pride issues, with their lust issues. Their flesh is controlling what's going on in that church. And he tells this this carnal, fleshly church, he said, when you come together, you need to be focused on edifying. You need to be focused on building one another up. The second purpose he gives is in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. What word does he give next? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The second purpose for music in in the New Testament church is for instruction. Not only do we build up one another spiritually through our music, we also teach Every time we open our hymnal and we sing a song, every time you turn on the radio and you sing a song, you are learning a lesson. Whether it's a good lesson or a bad, never buy a CD and just think or download an album and just think just because it's labeled Christian means that it has truth. Error comes as wolf in sheep's clothing. We need to pay attention to what we're learning I loved one of the, what one of our kids did recently. They came in the room and they told Laura, mommy, this book about Easter, it was about the resurrection, said, um, this doesn't teach, this teaches something contrary to the Bible. This book says that Jesus was in the grave for two nights. And the Bible, Jesus said, two, three days and three nights. And the kid had crossed through two nights and put three 
well, yes, tradition. If you follow the Catholic Church, you're going to go along with that. But if you follow the words of Jesus, we have to believe three days and three nights. So we have to figure out how that works. And it does work if you understand Jewish holidays. It does work to have three days and three nights. My point is, even in the children's book, one of the kids realized this is contrary to truth. And that's what we should be doing when we sing, when we listen to music, that we should be listening. Is this truth or is it not? Number one, edification. Number two, instruction. Number three, admonition. Look what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Admonish is to warn, to exhort, to call attention to something. We should be constantly calling attention to truth when we sing. Calling attention to Jesus Christ. We should be pointing people's attention to him through our music. We need to understand music was not given to the New Testament church for its numerical growth, but rather for the spiritual growth of its members. It's taught in some popular church growth books, such as the Purpose Driven Church, which has some really dangerous, I I love my brother, I believe he's my brother in Christ, but I think there are some really dangerous um, teaching in that book that is based on human philosophy and not biblical truth. And one of those is the teaching, and it takes scripture out of context to prove that we should be witnessing, using our music as a witnessing tool to build up the church numerically. And in none of those passages that he gives is there any grounds for that actually happening. Scripture's taken out of context to prove that. Music is supposed to be used in the church for the spiritual growth of believers, not for evangelism of the lost. The preaching of God's word is used for evangelism. A.T. Pearson said, church music purged of its secular corruptions and charged with the spirit's life might become spiritual food and drink, medicine and message all at once, a feeder, healer, helper of souls. Number three, let's look at the three prescribed types of church music. There's three types given, and they're given in Ephesians and Colossians. Number one is Psalms. He said we are to teach, we're to admonish with what? With Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Let's talk about these for just a moment. Number one, the Psalms. Well, that's pretty obvious, right? The book of Psalms. If you take the word apart, you look at the Greek words and the Hebrew words and the, see how they match one another between the Old and New Testament, you just come to the conclusion that he's talking about the book of Psalms right here. So he says it's beneficial for the New Testament church to worship God using what? To teach using Psalms, to praise using Psalms, <clears throat> to admonish or, and to edify one another using Psalms, the scripture of the Old Testament. The book of Psalms, and we have different ways that we do that today. We have the metrical Psalms, like we sang a couple weeks ago. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. That's Psalm 23 that was put into English meter by um, the followers of John Knox in Scotland. We have scripture songs that we sometimes sing where just words are taken straight from scripture. We have what's called the imitations of the Psalms where people like Isaac Watts would take a psalm and would put it into New Testament, put New Testament theology into it, make the application right there in the psalm. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. That's based on Psalm 90. That is a 
um, an imitation of the psalm. And you could say that that's one way that we sing psalms. It's been taken and it's been translated. And also the lesson has been written into the poetry itself. The second type of song he said for us to use was hymns. This word hymns literally is the Greek word hymnos, which means a song of praise. It was usually used in, in the Greek writers, the secular writers, for a song that was lifted in praise to a false god or a song that was lifted in praise to a military hero. But in the scriptures, it's used exclusively as a song of praise to God. He said, we are to teach, we are to admonish, we are to edify one another through what? Through songs of praise to God. We sing these songs of praise. Now, some people take these and takes the word spiritual song and takes the word hymn and tries to show that all three of these is talking about the book of Psalms. You have to twist scripture to get that to come out of that. He's giving three classifications of songs here. Number one, Psalms. Take the scripture and sing it. Number two is hymns. We sing songs of praise. And number three, spiritual songs. These are literally songs that are spiritual a spiritual song, songs that are not carnal, songs that are about the spiritual things of God. We have examples of this in scripture. The Lamentations were spiritual songs. In fact, the Lamentations, actually many of them gave admonition. They were giving warning to the nation of Israel that judgment was coming. But nonetheless, these were spiritual songs. The song of Elizabeth in Luke chapter two, when Mary walks up to the house and John the Baptist jumps in her womb, she doesn't lift a song of praise. We can't actually call her words a hymn. She sings this blessing to to Mary because she's believed the word of God, but she's singing a spiritual song, a song about the spiritual things of God. Spiritual songs could include songs about doctrine, the incarnation, the cross, the blood, the resurrection, the second coming, the Christian life, heaven, and many other spiritual things. Think about it a few minutes ago when my children were singing. What were they singing? Were they singing a hymn? Was that a song of praise? No. Were they singing a psalm? That was definitely not from the book of Psalms. (laughs) What were they singing? a spiritual song. They were singing about all these little Bible stories. And I remember as a child singing that song in church. And I remember laying in bed at night, thinking about each one of those parts of the song. I wonder how it felt to wake up in the belly of the well. And I literally laid in bed wondering what it would have been like. Wonder what it felt, how it felt to spend the night with Silas in the jail. And I thought, how cool to go to jail for God. And I lay there in my bed at night, imagining one day doing great things for God. That spiritual song made a great impact on me as a little kid. It was singing about these Bible stories, uh, one simple phrase about each story, but nonetheless, it was a spiritual song, a song that points children's minds toward the word of God, a song that points children's hearts toward being surrendered and submitted to God like the people of old in the Old and New Testaments. So we have psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then last of all, but most importantly, the triune person of church music. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5 again. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Speaking in verse 19 is where we'll begin. Speaking to yourself, oh, sorry. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the what? With the Spirit. So our music is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit himself. So it makes me try to be more sensitive when I listen to music and the Holy Spirit just starts pointing out to me, my flesh sure likes this music. And yeah, the words may be spiritual. The words may be even be scripture. But this is just stirring my flesh. It is waking up my sensuality. The Holy Spirit of God begins to prompt me and say, no, that's not what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We find here in Ephesians 5.18, God the Spirit. Then secondly, in the next two verses, God the Son, look what he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. We sing from our hearts to who? The Lord. I remember Al Smith telling us in a hymnology class one day at school, he said, sing from your hearts. Well, actually, he started it. He said, live and die poor. That hasn't been difficult. <laughs> and sing from your heart. Those were his two admonitions to us. Don't focus on money. I went with him to a concert one time at a large church in Indianapolis, and he asked me to go with him and run his book table. Well, I learned very quickly that he was not there about the money. All of his books and all of his albums, he'd come over and whisper to me, give that one to that lady. She doesn't have the money to buy it. Okay, so I'm giving it, but don't tell my wife. So I'm secretly giving away stuff. And then his wife comes over to me and says, hey, give that to him, but don't tell Al. <laughs> okay, don't tell Nancy. Okay, don't tell Al. And they kept giving away stuff that night. Why? They saw people that were in need. They came to our church in Louisiana, and he did a couple, a few different concerts there. And every night, there it went. Give them that CD. Give them the stack. I mean, they'd be giving stacks of stuff away. They were there to promote Jesus Christ, not to make money. I mean, they had put all this money into this stuff, and they just weren't getting the return they needed. Why? Because it wasn't about that. It was about Jesus Christ. Sing and make melody in your heart. To the Lord, we sing from our hearts to the Lord. It's God, the Son. Look at the next verse. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we studied about if you were in the Sunday school lesson when we talked about prayer recently from John chapter 15 or 16 in there. Um, he talked about praying in the name of in, praying in the name of Jesus as to pray as his representative. Praying according to his will, praying as he would pray. So he said, when he's talking about music here, he said, you do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sing as his representative. We sing for his glory, for his honor, for his kingdom's sake, and not for ours. And then we see God the Father Verses starting at the beginning of verse 20, again, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. We give thanks to him. Our singing should always be for our heart, giving thanks to him. And then he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The Christian music industry in America and around the world would be very different today if we did all of our music in the fear of God. Realizing I am serving a holy God. 
I am worshiping a holy God. I am praising a holy God. I fear him. Therefore, how is that going to affect me? So I do it under the power of the Holy Spirit. I do it for God, the son. I do it singing to him. I do it giving thanks to the father and I do it in the fear of God. In all of our music, as we realize that music is for edification, music is for teaching, music is for admonition, we need to realize that ultimately Christ has to be central. If he's not central, then we just need to shut down and go home. He's the reason for the song, the source of the song, and its theme. He is our song. Without Christ, the Christian would have nothing but the carnal wailings of the natural man. By the power of the Spirit's presence, by his filling, and by the purifying word of Christ, music is transformed in the hearts of sanctified believers and becomes a power force for edification, instruction, admonition, and praise. So I just want to challenge the church when we come together and we sing, start asking yourself, why am I singing? Am I encouraging those around me? Am I building them up spiritually? If you're on this special music schedule, if you're one of the pianists, if you're a member of one of the choirs, start asking yourself, am I building others up? Am I teaching? What am I teaching? Am I pointing people to Christ? Is he central in all that we do? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you now. And Lord, we just thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you have set us apart. You've made us a peculiar people. You have made us a generation of priests who are to show forth your praise. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you, that we would be submitted to your spirit. Lord, that we would be yielded to you that we would be submitted and under authority and submitted to the needs of others around us. And Lord, that we would be completely filled and controlled and influenced by your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be, uh, uh, just be able to powerfully use music in the way that you intended. Lord, I thank you that you've put a song in our heart. His name is Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would always honor him and uplift him, and glorify him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.